0: names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's
1: copyright infringement.
0: Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger.
1: There's no time to think.
0: Stone Soup. Welcome to Escaping Society episode 44 Mulligan Stew. I'm Gumby. I'm Teresa. And we are out in Bahama, North Carolina in one of our favorite quiet little spots out in the country and uh, spring has sprung and we are a couple of happy hobos. (laughs) So this episode's all about cooking outside um, kind of from a hobo perspective with a little bit of I don't know, everything that's involved in that. I feel like you kind of ride all rides, use all your skills. So a little bit of bushcraft, a little bit of scavenging, upcycling. Um, and, yeah, so with this beautiful weather, I mean, I'm feeling more inspired to spend more time around fires and cooking outside. So
1: Definitely.
0: Yeah, with that said, I'll hand it off to Teresa. Kick us off.
1: Yeah, well, the first part of this, um, I just put cooking method and location because that's going to be the key to what you use. We have some videos on making a fire, if you're going to have a campfire, if you're in a situation where you can have one. We also have a video on our YouTube channel for making a buddy burner and a hobo stove. So these are all um, open fire or, or open flame methods of cooking.
0: And I'd like to chime in there with the buddy burner. Um, the buddy burner is kind of uh, like we've got that video on it. It's a tricky thing to use. I feel like the hobo stove is a much more dependable
2: mm-hmm.
0: thing. We've had... Uh, varying degrees of success with the buddy burner like they kind of run out and then when the weather's challenging they can be kind of (laughs) tough
1: yeah when Gumby's trying to heat up his coffee and the buddy burner's taking like 20 minutes to heat it up that's kind of annoying
0: and we won't spend a lot of our time describing the buddy burner watch the video if you're curious if you're wondering right now like what the hell's a buddy burner but Um, it has its place yeah it's got it's it's got its charms
1: and we used to use it a lot so um, maybe two buddy burners for for cooking on but yeah, you also have like the Coleman stove with the canisters that are kind of, I don't know, wasteful.
0: Um, and but handy. They've saved our ass a lot.
1: <laughs> and you and you also, you mentioned um, cooking outside, but I have down here um, electronic methods because Ride All Rides, if you have a location that, where you can use a microwave, for example, some gas stations have microwaves, some stores like co-op markets or Whole Foods have microwaves or toaster ovens and you can also sometimes find outlets um, to plug in if you have something like a crock pot or a hot pot that boils water really fast.
0: Yeah and like if we know we want to use a microwave like we've got a dinner kind of Um, something we want to heat up really quick and it's like let's say cold and rainy you know we're not really thinking about being outside we've already kind of plotted out our microwaves so we go to the Whole Foods here in Durham and they've got a microwave we can use and uh, you know we know a a park a city park we go to that's got a nice covered picnic shelter with like um, several several outlets and electricity so if we happen to have like One day we had a slow cooker with us, you know, Mm -hmm. like every now and then we'll have something to plug in.
1: Yeah, or a rice cooker or something like that. So there's electronic stuff. Um, Let's see. There's also different methods of cooking within a campfire situation. So um, Gumby knows more about these, but I'll just mention some of them and he can roll on with it. So like a clay bake or pit cooking.
0: And I really like the clay bake. Um, The clay bake is basically if you find... Clay or even mud will work, but um, you can mix in a little grass with it, like up to 50 50 um, grassy straw stuff with the clay to kind of bind it. And then you just wrap your food with like big leaves that aren't poisonous. Um, it could be big grape leaves, it could be big dock leaves, um, anything that's like flavorful and gonna kind of protect that food. And then you wrap it up in clay and you throw it on the coals of your campfire. And um, you know it's probably getting done. It's worth checking. When the clay gets really hard, it starts feeling like pottery. Um, I've given up on clay before. Like I've had corn that I was trying to cook, and the clay was so muddy that I couldn't really get it to form a ball. It just kept clopping off and, (laughs) and falling apart. So I just said to hell with it and left it on the coals of my fire. And the next morning I woke up and checked it out, and it had hardened overnight, and that corn was cooked to perfection. So it's really hard to burn something when you're clay baking, um, but it really can make nice, savory, well-cooked food.
1: And I'll just, um, I'll jump in there too and mention the one that I've used, which I guess is just just a straight up, like you find a stick, a nice sturdy stick, make a point on the end and you can put a number of things on there. We actually cooked a squirrel, a roadkill squirrel like that.
0: Are you talking about spit cooking, like where you have fork sticks sometimes.
1: Yeah. Or even just like, um, you were describing a po' boy, like a dough that you would put on the end of a Mm -hmm. stick and just put it in the fire. Kind of like, I guess kind of like a marshmallow.
0: And since you mentioned the squirrel, like there's all kinds of little variations of that. Like if you find a, a good straight stick that's strong enough not to break under the weight of the squirrel, um, you skin the squirrel, gut it, you clean it, um, season it, rub whatever seasons you want on the outside of the squirrel. And the the squirrel meat will be a little sticky so it'll hold that seasoning really well um like butter that'll help and then you run your stick right through the middle like the inside of the squirrel coming out where the the neck hole and you can take a couple more sticks shorter sticks maybe around the length of your finger put a point on both ends and shove them through the meat of the upper arms and the meat of the upper legs and that'll allow it to kind of stay put you know it won't fall off the stick and if you get it just right, you can even, like, it'll hold it in place so well you can turn the the squirrel without it sliding around. So that's a handy trick when you're cooking, cooking something with legs.
1: De- <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and here, Gumby, I'm going to give you this list and just that one I'll talk about, but if you want to talk about the other ones.
0: Yeah, well, a couple other things, you know, one thing we haven't talked much about because I haven't built one yet is a rocket stove. And uh, everything I've seen in videos and everything really has me excited about it, and um, basically, it's like what they call a number 10 can, one of those big like restaurant cans that they might have tomatoes or mushrooms in, um, same thing I make my hobo stove out of, and then four soup cans, just regular-sized soup cans, and basically, you're cutting a hole in the big can and putting one of the soup cans through that hole horizontally, sideways, and it'll connect into one of the smaller soup cans that you've put inside the bigger can. Uh, I know that's kind of abstract. Um, so you're basically having like a little chimney or hobo stove inside the bigger can with a another can that acts as a door coming outside of the big can. To and, vent
2: it, to get the air.
0: To vent it, to uh, be able to feed it, mm. and then you fill in that empty space in between the inner cans and the big outer can with like uh, – it can be any kind of like – um, God, I forget the name for this, but I was going to use sand just to fill that in. And they say there's something about this design that's really efficient with wood, makes it really hot, makes a little yeah. wood go a long way. I have no experience with it yet. I was meaning to build one before this episode and didn't get around to it. Um, but I'm really excited. It looks looks like it's got a lot of potential.
1: Maybe if you do make, uh, make one for yourself, we can make a
0: video on it. Yeah, we'll definitely try to do a video if we try it and like it. Um, you mentioned the spit cooking um orno or clay oven this is something that i've only done like on backpacking trips one of the teachers i worked with she would kind of end the week um of the backpacking trip by bringing out some brownie mix that the kids haven't seen and saying if you can build a clay oven and then we'll try to cook the brownies and that it
1: would motivate the hell out of me
0: <laughs> yeah they were it was exciting and they were uh They were good because it was a surprise and it's always fun, but usually they're either too burnt or they're really hard to use. So my experiences with the the Orno or clay oven have not been very encouraging so far. Mm. Um, But that could just be me. Basically, if you want to cook something outside, I was kind of intimidated by this for a long time because I'd always heard this like um, more complex ways of cooking, things that I didn't feel up for. But basically, all you need is a fire... And if you really want to cook the best, um, use small sticks because they're going to burn faster and you're going to get a quick bed of coals instead of like huge logs. Um, and then kind of clear the wood away, scrape your coals out and cook on the coals. That's it. If you can do that, you can cook outside. It can be that simple cooking on coals and cooking on coals usually works better than cooking on an open fire. Um, I guess just because it's kind of slower. Like somebody taught me once, if you're cooking on a stove, and we still have opportunity to use a stove now, and then if we house it somewhere or something, um, I was taught never go above medium on the stove unless you have a really good reason. So I kind of took that to heart. Um, I think that's part of the idea with the coals too. Slower cooking makes for better tasting food, just better cooking, instead of burning the outside and having the inside not quite done.
1: And just from my experience, it's a lot easier than, you know, trying to reach into a fiery inferno to get your pan back or to get your cup back of, you know, boiling water or something. Um, And we'll talk a little more about the use of coals when I talk about using a Dutch oven, which I've just started experimenting with.
0: Yeah. So everything else we're going to say is just kind of like, if you want to have fun with it, have fun with it. But there is really something to be said for the simplicity. If you forget everything else cook on coals. Just start a fire, burn it down, move the firewood. And by the way, it's really good to keep a fire going on one side of the fire ring. At the same time, you're scraping coals to the other side to cook on because that way as the coals die, you can scrape more coals from the, the wood that's still burning. Um, but it's that simple. Just heat up something. Don't be intimidated. No matter what you're trying to cook. If you've got some kind of like fancy steak or something, sure, there's plenty of ways to marinate it and cook it like really fancy and good. But if you just are intimidated, you don't have any experience, and you're scared to ruin a steak, just try it. Throw it on the coals. I mean, throw it directly right on the coals. If it gets some ash on it or whatever, I've heard a little ash is good for you. Flavor. Yeah, it, cl- <laughs> it cleans you out, and it does have a unique flavor. You know, it can like actually be something you um, learn to like. That kind of smoky, right on the the fire coals, um, kind of wild flavor is really good. Um, there's this quote that. I had mentioned in our episode, Getting It On and Getting Along, and it was uh, Don Juan speaking to Carlos Castaneda in one of Castaneda's books. And he was talking about relationships, but he was also talking about cooking in that. He was saying there's something like Carlos is wanting to break some branches and kind of do this like pit cooking, this fancy thing. And uh, Don Juan was telling him like a warrior doesn't need to break branches, doesn't need to injure plants. Um, to make such an impact to cook. A warrior does it as simply as possible. A warrior doesn't, you know, need to take any more lives than than he has to or she. Um, So just keep that in mind, too. You know, if there's an appropriate situation to use some of these techniques, use them. But don't necessarily go out and start just, like, trying to build big elaborate stuff and cutting down trees and, you know, hacking off branches to cook. There's really something to be said for just the most basic, simple kind of cooking. Mm-hmm. A couple of things that I would like to share. Well, I think these two recipes I've got. I'll wait till we get to some of the, the recipes you're going to share. Okay.
1: So you talked about cold cooking, the Orno. How do you spell that Orno thing?
0: I think it's H-O-R-N-O. But uh, rock oven, clay oven. That'll. If you Google that, I'm sure you'll see that word Orno very soon.
1: All right. I had two others before we move on. One of them is kind of more just like heating something up, and it depends on where you live and how sunny it is that day. But just putting something on your dashboard, like I think my favorite example is um, sometimes we will either get a pizza or we will uh, uh, procure a pizza in some way. Like sometimes, (laughs) sometimes we'll go to like a food pantry, and for some reason, Little Caesars, you know, gives them a bunch of pizzas at the end of the night. And the next day, you go there and. Voila, you got a pizza in a box, but it's cold. So if you just stick that thing in your dashboard, it heats it up. I'm not saying it, like, cooks it to perfection, but it makes it, you know, a little bit warmer. So if you have something that's a little too frozen or you'd like it to be a little warm, you could do that.
0: Yeah, dashboard on a sunny day, think of it more like a heating lamp than a cooking method.
1: Mm -hmm. And the other way is, um, well, I just mentioned sun tea. Like putting something in a, a glass jar and letting the sun infuse its heat within it, so you don't have to uh, worry about boiling it, and that's all I had for that section. So moving on, um, different cooking tools. We live in a van, so we have uh, limited space, but I've found that what we have is pretty useful and pretty versatile for a lot of um, different dishes. So we have one pan and one big pot with a lid, as well as a medium-sized cup, or you could have, like, a medium-sized pan. We've been lugging around this Dutch oven for almost an entire year, and uh, Gumby's like, I promise you, you'll love it. So I finally tried it.
0: Um, no, well, I'm kind of—I'm still debating on whether it's worth carrying around. Um, so we're—like, Teresa's really experimenting with it now in preparation for this episode. Um but yeah, it's 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 a lot to carry around. So if you don't have like a a van, like you're living in something this size, I don't think I'd even make the space for it in a car necessarily, because it is big and it's heavy. But to uh, on the on the bright side, you can put stuff in it. Right. So it's not just like negative space. It can be a container itself um, that you just take the stuff out of it when you're ready to use it. Um, but yeah, they're a lot of work.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So let's see. Other things to think about. A spatula. We have a metal one. Um, can opener is always helpful. Some grabbers, if you can find them, to like get stuff out of the fire.
0: Are you going to talk more about the Dutch oven? I will. Okay.
1: Um, flatware, of course. Knives for cutting stuff. And we also have a few plastic containers with lids, so in, in case we have leftovers from a meal or we dumpster dive stuff and the package is messed up, we can put it in those plastic containers. Uh, coffee thermos or two um, a measuring cup. I only have one cup, like a one cup measuring cup. And then I just kind of fudge it. You know, I can just decide what's three quarters of a cup or half a cup
0: or whatever. What about the coffee thermos? You want to talk a little bit about how you use that?
1: Oh, well, a coffee thermos can be used, um, if you are pulling off our caper by going into a motel or hotel to get free coffee. Sometimes you can fill up an entire thermos and sometimes, um, We were able to ask at like a coffee shop or somewhere, and they'll give you the coffee at the end of the night. And then we wrap it up in this um, kind of insulating plastic mat.
0: Yeah, one of my plastic bag projects I'm not done with, so we use it just as extra insulation for the coffee thermos.
1: And believe it or not, most mornings, like from the afternoon onward until the next morning, it'll stay fairly hot sometimes it's just warm
0: and it's pretty sweet when you time when you like do the timing just right where it's still hot so the next morning you don't have to think about where to go to get the coffee or how to heat it up you just reach behind you and there's this thermos of hot coffee so you just put your cream and sugar in it and you know it's coffee in bed you can still be in bed and covered <laughs> up so that's really nice especially when it's raining
1: we also have... Um, and you can you can maybe have another thermos if you're interested in, like, um, keeping soup hot or something like that, or broth mm-hmm. or something. Um, we also have a cutting board, plates. Uh, Gumby has brought his camp coffee filter, so we can just put coffee grounds of any kind in it and brew our own coffee. Um, something else is a dish scrubber, which can just be from a net bag, like from onions or oranges or something. And... I found recently that having a shovel is kind of not really a cooking tool, but if you're going to be using fire, it can be really helpful, extremely helpful if you have a Dutch oven.
0: Yeah, I've got one of those little stubby shovels that uh, we use it the most when we're camping and, you know, working with the fire.
1: And optional, I have, like, a another flexible kind of spatula to scrape stuff out. Um, I have a juicer, like, hand press thing And I also, I don't have one of these, but I think a big ceramic cup or uh, some sort of microwavable bowl would be useful um, if you have access to a microwave.
0: And most of the stuff we either scavenged or traded for, right?
1: Yes, that is very true. Or just we somehow had it from our past. And, um, yeah, that's about all I have for that. Did you have anything to add?
0: As far as tools? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, not really.
1: I think i got everything and then it, okay so your food pantry can be as simple as a cardboard box um you can just use straight up plastic grocery bags to keep stuff in i don't recommend it because they always rip
0: and we're struggling with this like it's easy when you're by yourself so if you're like living out of your car it can be easier depending on who you are um to maintain discipline like when i lived by myself out of a car i had one cardboard box And if I found more stuff like in a dumpster that was good, I'd go right to a park and I would change stuff out. I'd get rid of stuff that I didn't want as much and maybe leave it in the park and hope somebody else would get it. Um, Or if it's old, you know, like toss it, compost in the woods. Um, But that food pantry, it can be really hard. We struggle because we're two people with different viewpoints, different habits, Mm -hmm. different ideas of how things should be done. So we often have like our food Getting right on the edge Of getting out of hand We'll have too much And it'll take up A lot of space So I just caution you When you're making What is now Calling a food pantry um, Think about that Like limit your space Otherwise you know Since you don't have A kitchen If you're living Like we do um, Whether you're out In the woods with a tent Or whatever It can kind of Get overwhelming And it can start Getting kind of gross too Because like It's hard to keep up With this food It's not all laid out In a nice kitchen um, It can stay at the bottom of a box and you don't know it's like going bad until the whole vehicle starts stinking which we've had (laughs) happen so (laughs) yeah
1: I think the main thing for me is um I guess I'm very opportunistic when it comes to food so I'll say just take it and then I don't exactly know when we're going to use it so it just ends up sitting around
0: me too that's like (laughs) I think that's uh really important to be opportunistic but it's that next step that we struggle with like once you have it What do you do to like, you know, make some those next decisions of what do you get rid of? Like, what, how do you use, utilize that space the best?
1: Mm Mhm. And winter was kind of surprisingly challenging for me cooking because there were a number of days that there were a number of really nice days, and then there were those really hard, challenging days where it's like nobody wants to be outside. I certainly don't want to be standing in the freezing cold or rain or both. Cooking, so we would just like suck it up and go get like a burger or something. <laughs> Haven't quite escaped society. So, your food pantry, it could also be a milk crate um, if you can get away with that size. And in it, um, have something that is kind of like a non stick oil or spray, um, butter if you can keep it from melting. And uh, I also would keep a container of water, whether it's just for drinking or for drinking and cooking or whatever. We have a couple of containers of water in our car.
0: (laughs) You used to keep a whole bag of uh, water bottles. Like we've kind of got it narrowed down a little bit now. But, yeah, Teresa's a big water conserver. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, I hoard stuff. So um, spices. Spices are really important and fun because you don't necessarily have to buy them. Just keep your eyes out. Um, a lot of places have free packets of stuff, whether it's hot sauce, like at Taco Bell. Um, a lot of places have like the, the regular hot sauce, like Texas Pete, crushed red pepper flakes. We can get those from Papa John's. Uh-huh. And even if you're not buying a pizza, if you, you know, don't look questionable, you could just kind of walk in and be like, oh, can I get a couple extra packets of the um whatever?
0: Yeah. And you kind of start to recognize the places that are good for certain things. And on your route, when you see those places, you can start to swing in and grab them. Like Chick-fil-A is really good for the hazelnut creamer that I like. And <laughs> yep. Starbucks is really good for sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah.
1: And I mean, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, if you're going to be making a whole lot of Chinese food, that's one thing. But soy sauce can be used in a number of different ways just to make things saltier. So... You're thinking like, well, why not just use salt? That's true. You can use salt, but soy sauce also adds that different kind of complexity to it. So stopping in a Chinese restaurant, getting some hot mustard, some soy sauce.
0: And this crap is everywhere. Like you'll see it around a park, like picnic tables. you see it on the side of the road when you walk.
1: I used to pick up like every single ketchup packet, anything that I saw on the road, like grape jelly packets.
0: Just be careful because they can bust in your pocket. That's true. And, uh, man, it makes such a difference if you're, like, really trying to go out on the fringes and not just buy this crap to, like, have a little flavor packet. It's really a valuable thing to have.
1: And some places, like if you're traveling or hitchhiking, they'll have at um, gas stations, for example, they'll have packets of chopped onions, relish. And if you come across a can of tuna, then you've got your pickles to mix in, your onion to mix in, maybe a little bit of mustard, just depending on how you make it.
0: And there's, and, you? and there's really something to be said for finding it in trash cans and at the mm-hmm. park and on the roadside. Because if you take it from the restaurant, which I have no problem with, but they are going to ne- maybe have to buy more to replenish that. True. So you could have a little impact, you know, with the uh, waste, the consumerism that's happening, even though you're not actually buying it. But if you're getting it from like the roadside or whatever, that stuff has already left the restaurant. Some asshole just like decided to waste it and threw it out his car window. So I figure that's, like, a really good thing when I can pick that up and use it.
1: True that. And the other night, um, we just happened to go in this place where we've never walked before in a shopping center. And it was, like, the trash can where everybody throws out their leftovers. And there were Mm -hmm. several packets of, like, ranch dipping sauce and all sorts of different, like, barbecue sauces and stuff.
0: Unopened. And and when in doubt, like, ranch makes a lot of things taste better.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So here's, here are the things that I have in my spice kit. Um, salt, pepper, and garlic powder. Somebody that used to live with us um, when we had a trailer, he called that the Holy Trinity. And seriously, salt and pepper, and if you can get your hands on a little bit of garlic powder, that makes damn near anything taste good. Um, I also, like I mentioned, those crushed red pepper flakes makes things a little bit spicier. Onion powder cayenne pepper, um, oregano, cumin, dried ginger powder, only if you're making stuff like stir-fry, um, and everything else is to your preference, so, uh, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, (laughs) um, turmeric, cinnamon, pumpkin pie spice, etc., etc., um, Gumby loves cheese, so if I see any packets of, like, Parmesan cheese, uh, whatever, Parmesan cheese Shaky stuff. Special seasonings. Papa John's also has a special seasoning that's really good on steak. Um, Sugar, we mentioned, coffee creamer, and honey. There's a lot of places that have honey packets. And you don't need every single spice in a recipe. So if you're interested in making something and it calls for parsley, nine times out of ten you don't need it. Um, And make sure you see in a recipe, like if you're using one, see what it's actually being used for because sometimes it's just for some sauce that you're not even going to use so don't worry about it Um, if you are buying spices like you just absolutely can't find any oregano for example well if you can find a place that sells it in bulk and fill up a little baggie with it it's not going to cost you but maybe like 20 cents and it'll be a significant amount for your recipe and uh, Gumby has mentioned before and in different podcasts, Zen cooking. And that's really just about, for me, it's about using what we have on hand to make something that's delicious and not having to buy stuff.
0: Yeah. It's a philosophy that, um, every moment offers you everything you need for that moment. So look around and look for your your tools and your resources, the things that are working in your favor. And this also affects the way you can cook, especially if you're a scavenger, a forager, kind of giving up the the control, the illusion of control that consumerism sells you. Um, You know, just looking around and seeing what you can use. Like, it's really fun to be that creative, to just, like... Try things, you know, like, all right, I've never done this before, but I got a feeling this could go with this because this is what we have. So instead of running to the store and doing the little consumer rat race crap and buying exactly what the recipe calls for, um, yeah, get daring, get creative. And especially if you're scavenging, hell, that stuff was already thrown away. You got it for free. This is the time to experiment. This is the time to learn. So Zen cooking is a really good philosophy, you know, try that.
1: Indeed. And, <laughs> excuse me, the, um, the next stuff I was just going to say is what you usually come across in van life or hobo life or living in a houseless lifestyle. So, whenever um, we go dumpster diving, it's a crapshoot. Like, sometimes we find things I've never even heard of, like mayo chup.
0: Mm, yeah, that was a good good find. <laughs> Who knew mayo chub?
1: It's kind of like a garlicky mayonnaise with, I guess, ketchup mixed in.
0: That's exactly what it is.
1: But it's really good on things like burgers. Um, so yeah, different types of bottled, jarred, or canned things. So canned vegetables, canned meats, fruit, and random ass shit. Like we've gone to food pantries, uh, segueing, and they they typically have stuff that you'd find like mac and cheese or just kind of bland stuff, rice and dried beans. But then they have like fish sauce or coconut milk. And I'm tempted to get that stuff because I know I can use it and make like an interesting Thai dish or stir fry or something.
0: Why does fish sauce ring a bell? Didn't somebody tell you something about fish sauce? Like that was the That key is the secret
1: thing? to making really good Asian food is using fish sauce. It doesn't sound like it would be good, but it actually doesn't taste super fishy in your recipe when it's done. Um, Gumby says like tomatoes in any form. So diced tomatoes, canned tomatoes, tomato sauce. You always come across something somewhere with tomatoes. Take it because they can be useful. Um, Canned or dried milk. I've had mixed reviews about canned milk. It kind of goes bad pretty fast. Um, We had a giant bag of like powdered milk, but we never used it. Um, Broth Any types of soups, all kinds of sauces, jams, jellies, and peanut butter. And uh, as far as dried goods, spaghetti. Lots and lots of rice, dried beans, which when you're living the way we do, I just don't see how I can do dried beans. But maybe you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, Instant mashed potatoes. And sometimes you have other grains or pseudo grains like quinoa, um, couscous, um, let's see, grits, oatmeal.
0: And you um, could do dried beans. Like there are certain places we go that we can be there, like here, for instance, that we can be there for several days at a time and have a fire. So if you find that you can like settle down for a few days, uh, don't, don't mark off dried beans. You can soak them. You've got time and you've got a fire to cook them.
1: True that. I like canned beans better still, but
0: they're more convenient.
1: Um, and dried fruit. We were getting for a while, when we'd hit food pantries across the United States, they would have giant bags of like dried cranberries, giant bags of uh, dried of raisins, like things that if you bought them in the store, they would be really expensive. But they're really good, not just for trail mix, but just for mixing in with different things just to give it a different flavor.
0: And it's really fun when you do have a recipe like that is something you really want to want to eat that you really like um, to look around and see what you have that is like that thing. So often, like, if you replace, like, if I see onions in a recipe, you know, I might go out in my yard and just chop the top of onions, you know, really fine, which I know you're going to talk more about plants Mm -hmm. later. But for instance, that just replacing, you know, I might have in my mind the big bulb onion from the grocery store, but then thinking like, well, what can I use since I don't have that that is like that? Sometimes it's even like, you know, instead of like, uh, oh, what was it we were cooking with for a while? Cheez-Its? Remember when we uh, yeah. had we had all those Cheez-Its and so we were like replacing that with certain recipes. <laughs> so even stuff like that, like really think outside the box, you know. I, I dumpster dived boxes and boxes of Cheez-Its. And we came up with, well, ma- mostly Teresa came up with some pretty interesting stuff, just replacing crushed up Cheez-Its for other things in the recipe. Yeah,
1: like especially breadcrumbs. So if, you, if you're if you making something where you need to bind the meat um, and sometimes breadcrumbs are used, you can just take some Cheez-Its in a Ziploc bag or whatever in the bag that it comes in and just mash them up, and then you can use it for different things.
0: Yeah, maybe you don't have chicken, but you got a roadkill squirrel.
1: <laughs> I mean, squirrel. that
0: applies to a whole lot. Uh, the Cheese-It squirrel doesn't sound too good. <laughs> but then again, Cheese-It chicken doesn't, doesn't sound too nah. good either.
1: Um, Cheese-It meatballs was pretty good. Mm, yeah. Um, Something else we used to those crushed up Cheese-Its for was uh, uh, an Indian dish. Oh, that was my
0: favorite thing.
1: Yeah, and it was like... The redneck version of this Indian dish, oh, I, I can't even remember what it's called, but it basically required you to have something creamy, um, and I had, I think, like ranch dressing on hand, so I used that, and uh, something that was like fried, like some little like crispy type things. so I used Cheez-Its that were crushed up a little bit. And uh, there were some things that were kind of hard to replace, like tamarind sauce. I think I used barbecue sauce. So it was like this really strange layered dish. It doesn't sound good, but it was like really amazingly good. I can't even remember what it was, Mm -hmm. what it's called. Um, I used to eat it all the time. Dried goods I talked about, like spaghetti, grains, perishables. Um, If you go to a food pantry... Um and, and often too in the dumpsters we'll find bags of potatoes, maybe one has gone bad, onions, um, and fresh produce. God, we just found like a bunch of limes, tomatoes.
0: We just rinsed off a pack of three tomatoes. One was mushy and bad, the other two look fine.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, you'll you will find fresh produce. Um, bread. Oh my god, we have so much so many different types of bread products and eggs. Um and then I was just experimenting with the Dutch oven with frozen food. So you can definitely cook a Hot Pocket in a Dutch oven um, to perfection.
0: And one of the big things about a Dutch oven is they can get rusty when they sit. Um, seasoning it. You want to talk about seasoning? Well, I'll talk about it because you're doing a lot of talking. I'll give you a break. So seasoning, basically you're getting any kind of fat. So uh, what I had before, back when I was buying stuff, I got some Crisco. And um, I rubbed the fat with like a paper towel all over the Dutch oven, inside and outside. And then I put it in the oven in my, you know, just regular oven in the house, stove oven um, with the lid off, you know, the lid separate from the the bowl, the Dutch oven. And I baked it. I'm just going to guess a number right now, like maybe 300 for like an hour, something like that. But you know, it'll start to smoke a little bit, and it'll cure it. It'll turn it nice, shiny black again, like it's brand new. It's awesome. Uh, Teresa just improvised, because now we don't have a house. We didn't want to go buy Crisco. We didn't have a stove oven. So she did it on a fire with uh, some bacon fat. She cooked some bacon in a frying pan, poured it into the Dutch oven, used a paper towel, and uh, wiped it all over the Dutch oven, and... Um, yeah, it really, it wasn't the same kind of curing that I got from the oven when I could like really take my time and everything, but it was rusty before that and it made a big difference. It really rejuvenated it.
1: Helpful hint, don't leave the lid on, especially if you're curing or, or cooking it in a campfire because mm-hmm. you will create a fire tornado when you take the lid off.
0: Fun fact
1: Yeah, fun fact And that was when Gumby was on a walk with our dog So I was like, holy shit (laughs) (laughs) That was cool Good special effect there In the middle of a field of um, really tall, dry grass (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and that Indian dish is called papri chat Chat is a type of like an Indian street food Can you spell it? C-H-A-A-T The first word is, I think, P-A-P Either D-I or R-I It's pronounced papri
0: yeah, so if you Google that and get kind of an idea what it is, you can improvise and see how close you can get. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like Teresa, you might be amazed at just using what's around, how close you can get. And it's really, uh, God, I'd, I'd say it was a really refreshing dish. It was lively. I mean, it had every flavor in it. It was awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. And just finishing up, like, what you usually come across in hobo life Uh, We find a lot of cheese. In fact, we just found a bunch of Gruyere that was marked down to $5. So who even knows how much it was full price. We found it in the dumpster. Lunch meat we just found. Um, We often find sour cream, cottage cheese, uh, sometimes milk, especially like almond milk. That's usually pretty safe. Um, Sometimes prepared frozen meals in trays. Or steam bags, things that you cook in a microwave regularly. You can just throw it in a pan most of the time and cook it up. You don't need a microwave. Um, And prepared foods. Gumby just found a rotisserie chicken in the dumpster, which we're currently feeding to our dog. But sometimes we eat. (laughs) Um, Fried foods, sandwiches. We found sushi in the dumpster one time. That was like the best sushi ever.
0: Yeah, we were a little scared of dumpster sushi. But yeah, it turned out to be really good.
1: Dumpster sushi. And it was spicy too. Um, salads and snacks, just different types of little smart break snacks with nuts and cut up cheese and meat or something.
0: Hmm, I love those mm-hmm.
1: and um, and something else, I guess to include in hobo life are things like fishing, um maybe getting some crayfish here and there, or crabs if you're lucky. Well, maybe saying to get crabs isn't lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're feeling more adventurous, insects roadkill. And then of course you have hunting and trapping, um, which we've talked about a lot in like the food episode. Yeah. We
0: won't dwell much on that, but definitely if, uh, if you want to extend this conversation, check out our under lock and key episode. We go into more detail about how to acquire some of this food.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as hobo meals, so you've got all this, all these different spices, all these different, um, bases for your meal. I find a lot of times if we have produce, I just make a stir fry. I just cut everything up and whether or not it's a true stir fry or it's more like a a curry or something, it's damn good and it's pretty damn healthy. Um, Sometimes I haven't had like a sauce to mix in there and it's not the greatest, but there's a recipe out there um, where you use peanut butter and soy sauce. And you can also add spices in, or if you have maybe, like I've mentioned, like a grape jelly packet or something, um, you can tailor that. But the base is peanut butter and you add in soy sauce. Those are two things that you can normally come across.
0: Yeah. A lot of African dishes have that. There was this one Mm. thing that uh, a teacher that I worked with, the same one that led the backpacking trips used to make, and she called it, I mispronounce everything. So, (laughs) I remember it as called gato gato, like (laughs) cat-cat, but uh, something like that. And it had a peanut-based sauce, and it was delicious. Mm
1: -hmm. And, yeah, and when you find food, like we were talking about Zen cooking, when you find food, you're more inclined to just say, well, what the hell, I'll just try this, because it didn't cost you anything. So you feel, like, more adventurous and experimental in your dishes.
0: Yeah, like one of the things Teresa discovered is... uh, You know, I used to find microwavable stuff and I'd think, well, shit, I don't have a microwave. And I'd just throw it back in the dumpster. (laughs) But then it's like one day it just dawned on us like, well, why not try it? What have we got to lose? And turns out a lot of that stuff, you know, I mean, (laughs) this may be kind of a no shit sort of thing. But for me, I don't know. You get locked into ideas. And this is one of those ideas I was just locked into. need a microwave to cook microwavable stuff. But uh, you can just heat it in a pan, and a lot of this stuff is just as good, you know, it, even though they say microwave only. I don't know why they say that, because it's not true for a lot of stuff.
1: Trying to keep hobos from eating the food.
0: You can't keep a hobo down.
1: You really can't. Oh, and that, that reminds me, I think we've mentioned this before, but K-cups uh, for coffee, you don't have to have a K-cup Keurig machine to use those. I mentioned that Gumby has his Camp Coffee Filter and we just cut those K-cups open, whatever style they are, and dump the coffee grounds right into the filter, pour hot water over it, and it filters through just like a coffee
0: machine does. Mm-hmm. Did that this morning, didn't we?
1: I'm a hobo-rista.
0: <laughs> hobo oh. Um. Oh.
1: Something else that we find, ah, we used to find it more were those corn, um, those flat tortilla things.
0: Yeah, you'll see things, like, kind of come in spells in the dumpster. Like, you'll have one year that you'll see the same thing all the freaking time. And then you don't see it for a while. So, we haven't seen that as much as as we used to. But you're talking about those round tortilla yeah, things? Yeah, or, like,
1: or wraps.
0: Or wraps, yeah.
1: And so, we were making, like, so many quesadillas. And Gumby turned me on, mmm, to, uh, to using apple. Heyo! Our, hiyo. To using apple in a lot of stuff. So we were making like cheese and apple quesadillas or if we were really fancy and had like um, bell peppers or something, cut it up in there.
0: Yeah, and I cut them real thin because an apple has kind of a weird texture in some dishes, but it's got a good flavor that's welcome in a lot of dishes. So if you cut it really thin so you're not really noticing, you know, the apple peel or whatever in it as much, um, it adds just a hint of sweetness to things. And it really like adds something to a dish, wouldn't you say?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we even talked to the – somehow we talked to the girls at our summer camp this past summer into (laughs) making us nachos. And they remembered when you said about the apple and they put an apple in the nachos and it was pretty damn good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was so sweet. These girls decided to uh, celebrate our last day teaching them by getting together and borrowing my hobo stove. And they went out on the playground and asked if they could use it. And they had to build the fire up from one match and get the hobo stove cranking and melted the cheese and made uh, these nachos for us. And they incorporated so many of the things we had talked about dumpster diving even though they they bought it because you know they're kids, so they had to get their parents <laughs> to buy them, I guess. But
1: mom, can I go dumpster diving?
0: <laughs> it was sweet.
1: Um, of course, there are mulligans or mulligan stews and soups and any type of chili. You can you can decide what a chili is, whether it has beans, no beans, meat, no meat.
0: And a mulligan stew is a like traditional hobo stew. So the idea is that hobos would show up at their camp or jungle and you might have something kind of uninspiring that you have like begged for or stolen or scavenged or foraged. But if you all the hobos get together and use these uh, versatile ingredients um, and put them together, they can make one big pot of mulligan stew and they can be like Really delicious, whereas all the little ingredients each one of them had wasn't that inspiring. So that's why uh, we call this Mulligan stew.
1: hmm Yeah, and and just you reminded me. I got. I want to talk about foraging too. Oh, and
0: that's totally Zen cooking, by the way.
1: Definitely, that is like the epitome of Zen cooking. Um, bones, you had mentioned like making a bone broth, so saving bones.
0: Yes, if you're making like the ability to make a good stew is such a vital skill. Um, even if you're doing full-on bushcraft wilderness survival, it's one of the best ways to incorporate a bunch of ingredients and uh, keep that nutrition. So to get, like, something really nutritious in your body um, instead of just having all these things you just don't want to eat, um, the stew can kind of make it more palatable. But even if you're just, like, find bones, you know, bones can help make broth. So definitely throw some bones in your stew, um, the difference between just hot water, like basically making a tea with a bunch of random crap in it hmm. and throwing bones in there and making a broth is huge. I mean, it just, it, it nourishes your body in a whole different way.
1: And, um, something else that Gumby, uh, introduced to me was filet. Can you talk more about how to make that?
0: Sure. This is, uh, I guess I hear about it the most in gumbo, like down South, um, they talk about filet, you know, as a soup thickener and gumbo, and it also is a flavoring. But if you go in the store and buy filet, it's kind of expensive, and it's the easiest freaking thing in the world to <laughs> make. So sassafras trees, learn sassafras trees. They have so many gifts to offer. If you're in a part of the country that has sassafras trees, man, you want to get to know this neighbor. Um, you take the leaves, you know, the green leaves, and just dry them out. So sometimes I'll harvest the roots for to make tea. And to harvest the root, often I have to kill a sapling, a a young tree, which has leaves. So I'm trying to find things to do with the whole tree, Hmm. um, to honor the life of this tree. And I got these leaves. So what the hell? I've got the leaves anyway. Why not make some filet? I take the leaves off. I dry them. I put them in a paper bag. Um, Not a plastic bag because that holds moisture and can ruin what you're trying to dry. Paper bag. Put them on the dashboard of my car and keep checking them. And when they're super dry, in other words, when I can just like crush them and make powder super easy, I've got filet. And uh, you put that in a soup, it thickens it up it makes it more into a gumbo. And it also has a unique flavor and just adds that like... Man, there's just something about interacting with a wild plant. Like,
2: there really is.
0: It's even better than scavenging. Like, I love scavenging way more than buying stuff. I feel better about it. But when you actually go out on the landscape and an animal or a plant or something like one of your neighbors, something there, you know, sharing the land with you has a gift to offer, and you can incorporate that into your food. Wow, that just the energy of that is tremendous. And uh. Yeah, I guess you're getting around to that.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and talk about foraged foods and salads especially because it's that time of year, springtime, and we're seeing chickweed pop up. Salad season. Um, We did have, what, two episodes on foraging, foraging the Hobo's Garden of Eaton.
0: Yep, foraging (laughs) Hobo's Garden of Eaton, part one and part two.
1: And sometimes, you know, we will collect like uh, dandelion cress, oxide daisy, um, any sort of mustard, violet leaves, and wild onions and make a salad from that or we'll add it to a dish and you can add it to virtually anything. So whether it's a soup or stew, whether it's in a grilled cheese sandwich, um, maybe add a can of tuna or like if you want to make a an Asian type salad, maybe some canned Mandarin oranges or something.
0: Yeah. And if you're one of these people like I am that you don't think of yourself as a salad person, like I don't tend to get excited about a salad, even though when I actually have a salad, I often enjoy it. I will almost never choose to seek a salad, (laughs) but this is salad season. So if you're like me and you kind of like want your salad to have like certain things like meat and cheese and, you know, all kinds of like kind of louder flavors. Um, man, when you mix scavenging in with the foraging this time of year in the spring, when all this awesome shit is popping up, you've got your meat and cheese and you've got your, your salad dressings and just all kinds of random things like apple. Apple's freaking good in a salad. Um, you know, it it could be all kinds of stuff and you get creative and get daring and man, you will have some of the most awesome freaking salads that are largely wild plants. You know, Indeed. you're still getting that that really good nutrition in your body.
1: There was one salad I will always remember that you made, and it had, like, Johnny Jump Up, so it was kind of a minty burst here and there.
0: Yeah, well, well, Field Pansies, right? Field yep. Pansy, Johnny Jump Up, that is one of the best things popping up, and they're very ephemeral. If you don't learn what they look like and catch them now, they're probably going to pass real quick. So, man, Field Pansy, Johnny <laughs> Jump Up. You will be so freaking glad you put that in a salad or just in your mouth.
1: And... And we had all these other different plants in there, chickweed, of course, for our base. But then Gumby started getting really creative. And I think that was the salad that you put, like, there were these little tiny dark chocolate nibs or something Mm -hmm. in there. And I was like, oh, Gumby, I think that's going to be, that's going to be interesting Ooh, I don't know. I've never had chocolate in a salad before. Holy shit, that thing worked! That mm-hmm. was, like, one of the best salads, if not the best salad I've ever had.
0: Drove Teresa wild. We had, like, like animal sex on the carpet after that, if I remember right. <laughs> oh I got rug burn on my knees. God.
1: Chocolate in a set. Sa- chocolate period, really. It's just.
0: Oh, you just turned red. Go ahead.
1: Aww. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> my parents don't listen to this. So, yeah, so getting back to uh, hobo meals. I mean, there's so many different things that we find where we can have sandwiches. We f- we just ate sandwiches from the dumpster from yesterday.
0: Pre-made sandwiches. Yeah, yeah.
1: pre-made. Didn't you and
0: they weren't really? great, you know, but they never are. It's yeah. just kind of like when a sandwich gets a little old and it gets a little, what would you say, like droopy? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like anything's gone, like, spoiled or anything.
1: Yeah. Oh, and something else that Gumby had um, mentioned when I was writing this stuff down for the episode, foraged stuff. There's also foraged um just in the city for example. So you want to watch where you're getting it from, but we'll often pass rosemary bushes.
0: Yes, I see that growing like in people's little herb gardens or even decoratively in front of office buildings and shit mm-hmm. all the time.
1: Yeah. And like restaurants and Yeah. Um and oh, I think this is worth mentioning in case you do have one near you. Sometimes there are community gardens where you don't even have to work at the community garden. They'll have a little area that's like free to pick for everyone. And so one time we were in, what was that, Lenore, North Carolina? Yeah. And we made a little salad up just from their pick-it-yourself area.
0: And if you're wondering where those locations are near you or where you may be going, um, get online. Like a lot of this stuff is easier to find than you might think if you haven't tried to find it.
1: Yeah. And um, another uh, opportunity to use some foraged food, some wild food, let's say you're given or you find some potatoes. And man, I just love making potatoes in the microwave. It's so much easier. But if you find some cheese and some sour cream, and then you get some wild onion tops, like the greens, you can just cut them down like chives and sprinkle them on top. God, that's a good potato.
0: And I never pick onions anymore. Like um, I used to think, you know, you want the bulb, you know, that's what I was trained to think is that the bulb is the onion. But I used to do that, like, with uh, wild plants. And for one thing, they're kind of hard to gather. They're small. For another thing, they've got a lot of skins on them that are just chewy. You can chew and chew and chew, and they never seem to, like, get chewed up. And uh, they tend to be hard. They're just—I don't know. I never was sold on the wild onion. But when I started just, like, wanting the onion flavor and just collecting the tops and then chopping them up like chives, super (laughs) easy— I don't I don't know why I would ever go back to like picking bulbs, mm-hmm. wild onion bulbs anymore. I mean the tops are so good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that can help with um spaghetti sauce, for example. If you don't have onion but you can find some wild onion tops, you can add that into your spaghetti sauce.
0: You can add that to so much stuff. Wild mm-hmm. onion tops chopped up is one of those things that just lends itself to so many freaking flavors.
1: Used it in my stir fries.
0: Mm
1: hmm. Um of course, grilled cheese, if you can find some cheese. And again, any sort of bread product, whether it's uh, tortillas or whatever. To yeah,
0: we used to put dandelion leaves on our grilled cheese sandwiches and sheep sorrel. Um, but yeah, a lot of surprising stuff really blends in. And even if it doesn't necessarily add to the flavor, um, it usually doesn't detract from it, mm-hmm. in my experience. And it definitely makes it more nutritious. you Any way you can get those wild plants in your body, you're doing a good thing. And that's another thing. When you're eating like... Um, on the fringes, especially when you've given up the food co-op and the expensive, trendy foods, mm-hmm. it can be really easy to fall into habits of eating unhealthy food. So any way you can incorporate, like, foraged food into your diet is a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, one more, just because I love potatoes um they just, they always seem to pop up somewhere. In fact, right before Christmas, I found a bag of potatoes in a grocery cart, like just somebody forgot them. <laughs> but, uh, cutting up potatoes, and if you find some eggs, having potatoes and eggs, and maybe you're lucky enough to have gotten your hands on some sausage or bacon or something and mix it in there. And then you can again put some of your wild foraged foods and sprinkle it on top there. So, yeah, so that's what I have for hobo meals. It's not, um, it's not super fancy, but you can have different tastes. It doesn't have to just be straight-up American-type food. I had mentioned stir-fry um, or Indian or Thai curries.
0: Well, this would be a good time to mention my uh, two little, like, tricks that I've tried. Oh, yeah. Do- one is—I uh, think they both actually came from the Boy Scouts. I was a teacher with the Boy Scouts for a short while. And um, one thing is the foil stew. So if you find tin foil, that's really useful stuff, like— take it. You know, we we occasionally run into that when we're dumpster diving or we even find it in abandoned houses sometimes. We take the tin foil and um this is one of the many uses for it. It's great to cook with. You can wrap stuff up with tin foil, throw it on the coals and like cook something really good. But you can even make a stew so like you kind of take a few layers of the tin foil and um God, I'm trying to think of how to explain this really well. Maybe we'll do a video on this, too, like tinfoil stew. That would be a pretty cool video. Mm. But put a little water in there. Cut up anything that would go good in a stew, you know, potatoes, meat, um, veggies, whatever. And just fold it over on itself and then roll up the edges just a little bit. Roll them up so you've got, like, a little tinfoil pocket. Put that on the coals, and you can make some really good stew in nothing but tinfoil, no pot or anything. Mm. Um And another thing that I started experimenting with that was really good was the Ziploc omelet. So you take a Ziploc bag, or presumably you could do it with other kinds of bags too, but if uh, it doesn't have a good seal, the water from how you're going to cook it is going to leak in and kind of make it really watery, which you can still eat and taste good. But you put some eggs in there, you put cheese in there, you put anything you want to put in an omelet, a little bit of meat, a little bit of, I like like jalapenos, hot peppers in it, Mm. stuff like that, even a little bit of salsa sometimes put it in the Ziploc bag, get the extra air out, um, seal it up, and then like kind of, you know, mix it, like squeeze the bag, rough it up, get it all mixed together. And if you put that bag in a, like you get a pot of water and start heating it up and put the bag in there for, God, I I had it written down at one time and I don't know what happened to that, you know, van life. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to say like around 15 minutes, but experiment you can cook this to perfection and you will have an actual like omelet in that bag that tastes incredible. Um, (coughs) sometimes you'll get a leak in there, like try to keep it off the bottom of the pot of water. So put it in the pot of water. You want the the actual content of the food in the water. But, uh, I don't know, maybe if you can kind of like put a little, I don't know, piece of wood or something in there, that'll help. Um, not that you always need it, but I found that I kind of have better luck when I keep it off the bottom
1: <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: and just cook it like that. And man, like it's really a good way to have an omelet.
1: Mm. I remember trying that one time and, you know, I'm not a cook. I just learned how to do this stuff a couple years ago. And I think water was leaking into the bag, but it wasn't that bad. It was actually kind of like a cheesy egg drop soup.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it was edible. It wasn't exactly what we wanted.
0: Yeah, if you got good ingredients, even if it doesn't turn into what you want it to be, often it'll turn into something else that's pretty good.
1: Oh, and I guess, I guess, um, did you have anything else in that section that you wanted to cover? I don't think so. Really quickly, the the Dutch oven, because I just experimented with this this past weekend. Um, I bought, I'll be honest, I bought some frozen food because I wasn't finding any in the dumpsters at the time, and we were just, like, wanting to do this episode. So... I got a few things. Gumby likes jalapeno poppers. Um, I wanted some, like, barbecue-type chicken things, and I got some Hot Pockets to try. So the Hot Pockets came out the best. I used foil, um, didn't use the, the crisping sleeve, obviously, that you would use in the microwave, but I used just a piece of foil around the, the Hot Pocket, and I think the key to keeping stuff not getting burned that's, that's that type of food is put something on the bottom of the Dutch oven. So I've seasoned the Dutch oven. Um, the Dutch oven is hot. I am putting something in the bottom, whether it's like a a foil pie pan, or I just used some crumpled up aluminum foil from the other stuff that I had cooked, um, and put that in the bottom. And I set the stuff that I wanted to cook on top of those balls of aluminum foil or the pie pan that's flipped over. And that way, the ambient heat from the Dutch oven with the lid on is cooking it, but it's not directly on the coals anymore. I've taken it off of the fire so it's not, like, freaking burning the hell out of it because I made that mistake before, too. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And it really depends, like, what you're doing as to where the coals are. So there's a lot of stuff you can read online. Um, When I was looking it up. I saw that you can put like an even amount of coals on the top and bottom for some dishes. For other dishes, maybe you just put the coals on the lid, covered uh, the Dutch oven with the lid and then put some coals on top. I made biscuits. That was like, Mm -hmm. aside from the Hot Pockets, I was so impressed. Too many coals the first time, burnt the biscuits on the top. Little bit less coals the second time and the biscuits turned out friggin' perfect. And the other thing that I cooked was like, it was supposed to be kind of a chicken pot pie in the Dutch oven. I just wanted to try something that was liquid. They say that's easier. And it is easier in the sense that I didn't feel so much like it was going to burn, but I also felt like I could have just used any old regular pot. So it just all depends on what you're trying to do. I was excited to figure out that I could actually make biscuits Mm -hmm. or like toast things like a toaster oven. So I think that's what I would use the Dutch oven for the most. Maybe I'll delve into, like, different types of stews in the future. So, yeah. So, the final section is kind of just tips and, and recommendations from things that I've probably screwed up in the past. <laughs> um, you don't need all the ingredients. I would mentioned that. Learn to improvise. If you don't have um, sour cream, maybe you have plain yogurt. Same thing, as far as I'm concerned. Gumby would argue with me. Um...
0: No, I, I substitute uh, sour cream with yogurt when I don't have sour cream.
1: Oh, good. Um, fire cooking, I've learned to take things on and off to regulate the temperature, especially if it's one of those huge unwieldy fires. I just take the pot or pan off and let it cool down. And sometimes, like with grits, for example, a lot of times once you boil the water and you put the grits in, you don't really need to put it back. It'll like just sit there cooking in the water off of the fire if you need to heat it up more. Put it in the fire a little more and then take it out. Um, And stir your stuff a lot, especially on a campfire. Um, Add water to keep things from sticking. You don't always have to use butter or oil because you'll get really fat and clogged arteries. Um, Know your resources. We mentioned like microwaves in different places, food pantries, soup kitchens, dumpsters. Um, Knowing where you can get like all those free packets of condiments and everything. Timing is everything. Um this one I'm still learning about. Like for example, if you're cooking eggs, you kind of want to cook the eggs last like for breakfast. You want to have everything else ready because the eggs are going to get cold really fast and cold eggs are gross. Um and I only have one pan and one pot. So I don't really have a lot of opportunities to like have different things going at the same time. So I really have to plan what I'm doing and how I'm going to accomplish it with what I have. But that's also that's a good skill mm-hmm. to have not just in cooking. Like, that's in everything. Like, open your mind get more creative.
0: Yeah, like the Zen cooking, so many of these uh, tips actually have an underlying philosophy if you dig a little bit deeper, and they are a lot more wide, far-reaching than just what you do on a stovetop.
1: Like, you mentioned this one at the top, like, a grapefruit peel or orange peel for cooking in.
0: Oh, yeah. This is a fun trick when you're sitting around a fire. If you have oranges or especially grapefruit, um, cut it in half. And then you can, like, scoop out the fruit and have the peel, and you can cook stuff in that, you know, on coals. You can even, like, um, cook an egg. I've seen that done several times. Um, Another thing, I've hard-boiled an egg by carefully making a little hole in the fat end of the egg. You got the pointy end and the fat end. So I'll make a little hole in the fat end, and then I'll kind of stick the pointy end in the, the ash, the charcoal. Not too hot. And if I can, if it's cool enough, I can slowly turn it now and then. If not, just leave it for a little bit. That's an awesome way to cook an egg. It can be that simple to cook an egg. And then you take it out and you got a a cooked egg. So uh, think about that, like peels, you know, things that are bowl-shaped. Not only will it cook and act as a bowl to, like, make a little little cup of soup or something like that, but it'll it'll impart a flavor, too. It'll be a really unique uh, thing. Even making some, hell, mint tea made in a grapefruit. Peel. I've never done that, but Ooh, hell, I, that would. Yeah, you can cook in bamboo. So cut off a little section of bamboo um, and make it like a cup. You know, cut the top part where it's open and leave the node at the bottom. So you've got a bowl, a cup, and cook it in the bamboo. And that imparts a really unique uh, green, That's healthy so good. flavor.
1: Um, Something else you just reminded me of when we had a uh, spaghetti squash and I made squashetti, like spaghetti from the spaghetti squash. And I was like, damn it, I'm too lazy. It was a really cold day and I didn't want to have to wash dishes. So I just cooked the squash in the pan, added the tomato sauce and seasonings and everything, and then I just served it back in the squash like a bowl (laughs) we each had half of a squash spaghetti squash for a bowl
0: yeah and we've got a friend that gives us like a lot of weed (laughs) so like there's a a farmer like around here that was growing some weed for what was it the oil what's it
1: like i think it was the cbd oil
0: stuff. cbd oil and this seems like, I don't know what the hell's going on, but we're hearing stories about other farmers that are trying to do this. They're switching over, like, to trying to grow this stuff for CBD oil. And it's not supposed to be high enough in THC to really be effective to get people high. But then these, like, uh, agents or whatever, these, these people will come out and test it and say, like, well, it's too high in THC. You're going to have to cut it all down. You know, like, so it's all this, like, work that's just for nothing. So one of these farmers had to cut it all down. And my friend's like, well, hell, can I grab that? And so he scooped up a bunch of it. And we got, like, <laughs> bags of weed that are, oh,
2: God.
0: you know, they're they're okay to smoke. They give you a little buzz, but they're not great for that. But uh, I decided to throw in, like, a couple of huge handfuls in that squash Eddie Teresa was making. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. And,
0: oh, my God. We, we...
1: got fucked up.
0: We were <laughs> blistered. <laughs> So then we decided to, uh, take some more and make canna butter. And, uh, what's that called? Decarboxylation?
1: Decarboxylation, maybe? Something like that. Decarboxylate.
0: But basically, you're taking the weed, you put it in the oven for, like, I don't know, a half hour at 300 degrees. We had
1: to use your mom's oven.
0: Yeah, so I went in and borrowed my mom's (laughs) oven for this, and, uh... The weed turns like a dark green brown and it makes the whole house smell like weed. So (laughs) be careful where you do this. But apparently that like releases the the THC, makes it where it can like be released better in the food. And then we just melted down like a couple of sticks of butter and poured the weed in there, crushed it up really good, poured the weed in and uh, kept that going for like stirred it every half hour and kept that going for like four hours. Did you say in a slow cooker, like a crock pot? In a crock pot, slow cooker, yeah. And then uh, and we brought it out, and man, we ate a little bit on what, corn muffins? Mm-hmm. And we decided to watch this really bizarre movie called The Deer Hunter, like this old movie with Christopher Walken and Robert De Niro, the deer hunter, about Vietnam. And, man, about halfway through, it starts kicking our ass. <laughs> that and is I...
1: not a movie for doing that yeah. activity. I yeah. I thought it Teresa's was Yeah, Teresa's be... like, this is
0: the best movie ever. This movie is awesome. Oh, my God, this movie is traumatic. Oh, this is the worst movie ever. So I'm standing out there by the fire, and, like, every couple of minutes, Teresa's like, are you okay? Are you okay? Why are you standing in the fire? Don't stand in the fire. I'm like, I'm not standing in the fire. And then two minutes later, are you okay? <laughs> I've yes.
1: Been, I was not okay.
0: <laughs> she had an existential crisis.
1: I was thinking I was going to die.
0: But anyway, I don't know if I recommend the can of butter because then the rest of it we ate. It didn't. It gave us like kind of a light buzz. Yeah. So I don't know what happened.
1: But the squashetti.
0: The squashetti was awesome.
1: We didn't do anything except throw a bunch of weed in and it just fucked us up. Amen. So yeah, so getting back to... um. Other helpful tips and tricks if you don't have weed. Um, If you have any sort of like a baking grease, I can't, I like baking grease the best. But if you happen to have maybe like some hamburger or something and you can save the grease, not for a long time because it will go rancid, but you can save that and use that to cook things in, imparting a a meaty, savory flavor. You can also use it to season the Dutch oven or season other um, cookware that you have. And let's see. Salt. Salt is the game changer.
0: Always have salt. It's good for so many things. There's salt
1: packets so many places, and at some places, like Whole Foods, for example, they have these little plastic cup containers with a lid, and they're usually right next to a bunch of condiments, whether it's hot sauce or sea salt or whatever. Um, You can fill those up and have your salt
0: yeah shit scavenge a ziploc bag if you need to and go into a restaurant and just do a salt shaker and (laughs) get some
1: get you some salt um gosh uh some of the things that i've found rinse your rice um not really instant rice but just regular long cooking rice rinse it until the water is like clear not you know not milky anymore when you cook it cover it and don't mess with the lid If you feel like you need to stir it, make sure you don't burn yourself, but swirl the pot. Whatever you're cooking it in, just gently swirl it to get the rice from not sticking on the bottom. And more often than not, your rice will come out amazing. It's not too sticky. It's not too just like watery and gummy. Um, And some people have said like, put just a little bit less water in than it calls for. Just a little bit less. Like if it calls for... Three cups, put in like somewhere between two and three quarters and three cups, like just a little bit less. And that can help um, if your rice is turning out like too mushy. Um, Spaghetti and other pastas, put it in after the water is hot. Same with grits. I don't know what happened this one time. I thought, like like I said, I don't know shit about cooking. So we had these noodles that we got from a food pantry that didn't have any directions on it. So I thought, I'll just save. This is when we were in the trailer. I'll just save on the electricity and put it in at the beginning while the water's not hot and just have it heat up. And it turned into glue in the pot. It was no longer pasta. It was just glue. Um, So make sure your water is hot before you put something in like that. Gumby, um, your cracker, you want to talk about crackers?
0: crackers i mean crackers <laughs> taste good anyway they're a good base for like if you find cheese if you find even like if you want to dip it in like you know ranch dressing like i said ranch dressing makes a lot of things better and it's really good if you have a soup you know and you want to like especially like certain kinds of soup are better than others of crackers but i think they all can benefit if you don't have a lot of food and you want to stretch it you crush those crackers up and it just gives it more body it makes you feel more full so uh Crackers are a really good thing to have. And I would also add anything that's instant. Like if you dumpster dive instant grits, instant oatmeal, there's plenty of opportunities that... uh You're going to be really glad you've got something that's so easy to make. All you got to do is heat up some water and bam. And in that same vein, ramen noodles. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of a universal thing that anybody who's had hit hard times, even if you're like, I don't know, a college student that didn't have much money and you're just trying to figure out what to eat. A lot of people have stumbled onto the ramen noodle thing in their own way. So ramen noodles are great and you can add things to the ramen noodles. So you know, I've heard people debate the the healthiness of ramen noodle. Well, I guess there's not much of a debate. They're not that healthy. <laughs> but you can put healthier stuff in there to improve it. But uh, it tastes good. And it'll get you through, like, having something that's maybe not that healthy um, when there's nothing else is, like, really good. I mean, I've, I've been so glad to have ramen noodles sometimes.
1: And here's some other things you can talk about. I thought – oh, I was just going to add that um, – there are places that sometimes have hot water, so if you're um, maybe not quite ready to make a buddy burner or a hobo stove and you don't have a Coleman stove or some way to heat up water, some places do have hot water that is right next to their coffee, for example, that you have to pay for, but the hot water you don't have to pay for, so you could just fill up a cup or your thermos with hot water and um, and make some of those things, whether it's grits or oatmeal or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's this Boy Scout trick where you can, like, they've got it down to a science if this actually works. I haven't seen anybody actually do this in person. But the general idea is if you put your hand over the coals, like, let's say, six inches, you know, somewhere where your food's going to be, you know, sitting, um, if it's not cooking your hand, it won't cook the meat, the food. Um, And depending on how long you can leave your hand there, you can make a pretty good guess as to what the temperature is. So look up, you know... Uh, determining food temperature with your hand or something like that. Boy Scout hand trick. Maybe. No, don't look up Boy Scout hand trick. Anything comes up, I'm not responsible for. <laughs> um, but anyway, there's that. That's not something we actually use. But in a general way, you know, I think it's a, it's a good thing to kind of, you know, once you get started, once you get started, um, and you start getting some practice, you can kind of tell when your food's cooking or not. You don't need to do the, the hand thing. Um,
1: yeah, and I'll just say one other thing. Um, I, I was a vegetarian for a number of years, so I didn't cook meat because of that. And then I didn't cook in general because I was just lazy and whatever. I was working. But um, I'm still a little scared when I cook raw meat. So my mom um, would always do this when I was younger. She would just cut a little bit into the meat. To make sure that it was done. And so that's what I still do. I'll like just cut something right in half.
0: I still do that too. If you're not <laughs> sure, you know, cut it. Like cut into it. And see if it's still like really pink in there. Or if it's like browning up. Um, <laughs> you got a dirty no, mind. No, it's
1: not that. It's the other thing you just
0: did. What, the Boy Scout thing? Nope,
1: nope. Go on.
0: Anyway. <laughs> um, let's see. So... Cooking over a fire for flavor. One of the the benefits, you know, of cooking is that it makes things taste good. So, um, you know, anything you can cook, you can impart flavors to it. And think about what you're using to cook. So, for instance, the wood you use is going to impart a different flavor. So, especially if you're not cooking with like cookware, you're laying stuff right on some branches or whatever. Um, and like I said. There's like ash cakes. People have made ash cakes taking dough and water and just making like a little cake and, uh, you know, getting it the right consistency where it'll hold together, adding whatever you want to it, throwing it right on the ashes, cooking it. And uh, that's a legitimate like thing that people eat and enjoy, oh, yeah. ash cakes. So it can be that freaking simple. Um, meat is sticky. So, like, if you make a fire ring with rocks, and especially if they're kind of high, they provide a wall facing the fire, even a little tiny wall, you can take strips of meat and smack it right on the ed- the inside of that rock and cook it. I don't because, used to do that. Yeah, part of it will face the fire and cook, and part of it will be cooked by the hot rock that it's sticking to. Hmm. So, all kinds of little simple tricks like that. Don't be intimidated by outdoor cooking. Um, and the wood... Hickory is a well known, like, hickory smoked this, hickory smoked that, you know. Um, that is a flavor people often like. Sassafras, spice bush, and by the, 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 by the way, the little berries on the spice bush, you know, think about plants that add flavor that you might not eat as food per se, but they can add something to it, like uh, spice bush berries, um, dog fennel, or I've heard it called mare's tail, a little sprig of that, you know, like when you're cooking something like fish get to know the plants around you that are like really flavorful.
1: What about like juniper berries?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely some juniper berries. But a lot of these things that are used for flavor are strong, so maybe uh, start out small so Mm -hmm. you don't ruin your dish. And if you do ruin your dish, you've learned something, you know. Minimize next time. Um,
1: I think you even told me, what is it, wax myrtle? Is that what it is?
0: Oh yeah, bay leaf. So you got wax myrtle trees and They grow a
1: lot of places.
0: Yeah, and once you get to know that, you'll see them everywhere. And uh, it's basically a bay leaf on that tree. So that's something you can throw in a soup. And, you know, anybody who's spent a lot of time making soups knows about the bay leaf. So there it is. Why buy it? It's right there. And, man, when you take the time to collect your own stuff, it is worth it. If you don't have the time, fucking quit your job. (laughs) Fucking drop out of school. Whatever's keeping you from having that time is wasting your life away. Make the time to, like, have more of a relationship with what you do, man, to to pick your own bay leaves, to make your own filet, to, like uh process your own roadkill it is really like something you're going to remember mm-hmm. it makes things meaningful um and as far as if you're lucky enough to be in a place where you can be around a fire for several days like you don't have to put it out um it's really nice when you can make a fire ring dig a little hole in the middle. And Teresa has a video on this of uh, one match fire in our, on our YouTube channel. And in that, she talks about making this little hole, if you're not clear what I'm talking about, but it'll preserve the coals. So you can just like use your fire to cook on and uh, good cooking woods are hardwoods like oak, things that burn really slow, unless you're trying to get like a really quick bed of coals. And then you might use like cedar, something that burns really hot and fast And then, like I said, push the firewood to one side, scrape out the coals. But if you want to cook slowly, you want to take your time, put like oak on there. And then overnight, you can throw in another log, like especially if you find a a dead tree, the base of it where the root ball is, it's really dense. Or you've got greenwood that's been recently uh, cut or fallen. Um, Or like really hardwood, like oak is a great example. Just throw some of that on as you go to bed the next morning, especially if you have that little cup-shaped uh, hole in the middle. You're probably going to have coals. And then it's just kind of like turning on your stove. You just add some more dried grass, dried twigs or whatever, stoke it right back up, and you're back to cooking. I've learned not to let my fire go out. Like even during the day when I'm not using it, I'm naturally conservative. I don't want to use things that I don't need to. But I've found that it will actually things will stretch further and work better if i just throw like another log on there. Nothing more than i need, just enough to keep it smoldering all day. And then that night instead of having to go and like break a bunch of branches and build up my fire again, i'm right back to where i was the night before. Build the fire right back up and i'm right back to cooking. And because i've got it smoldering, i've already got some coals to cook on. Mm-hmm. I might just need to move that one log i was smoldering, move it out of the way and cook right directly on those coals. And then if i don't still don't need the fire if it's not a cold night throw on another one log, keep it smoldering. So uh, think about that, keeping your fire going. Um, I don't know a lot about how indigenous people like lived and had that relationship with their fire, but I would suspect that if I was out there like living all the time, I would just keep a fire going because the times I have been out there, that's what I've done. And it it seems like a practical choice. You got anything you want to add to that with your experience with keeping a fire going?
1: I just, I feel like after a number of days, I think I've said this before too, like the fire becomes a part of your group. It could become your friend. So I don't know. It's like, why put it out if you don't have to? Like, of course, if you're in a place that's really dry and fire prone, that's different. But if you're in a really nice place where you have like lush green, you know, forest and you're not worried about a fire danger, keep it going. Like Gumby said, I think it really improves your time.
0: Yeah, and we're talking about North Carolina, so I do recognize there are parts of the country that uh, what I just said might not be the best uh, tactic, that wildfires are really break out easy and you got to be more careful. But for the most part, North Carolina, if you're in a, a humid place like this, um, yeah, just keep it going. I'm not talking about a blazing inferno, just a smolder. Um, and the benefits of cooking your food, the psychological benefits. Like when I'm around a fire and I get to cook food and eat something hot, Um, it's just really cozy and psychologically nourishing, spiritually nourishing. So even if it's just simple food, like making a, for me, it's a cup of coffee. For somebody else, it might be a cup of tea, you know, like especially something you go out there. Oh man, if I'm around mint, oh wow, to go pick out, pick my own mint leaves right from the landscape and to gather them in a, you know, a sacred manner to ask the, the mint plants and to, to, feel like I'm receiving a gift, and then to heat up some water on this fire and make some mint tea, wow, that is such a special thing. So those are some of the benefits of um, cooking. And also you got foods that that aren't easy to digest unless you cook them. Um, Can you think of any off the top of your head?
1: Uh, people say that you can eat mushrooms raw. I see them all the time on salad bars, but I tend to cook my mushrooms. Well, mushrooms
0: are flat out dangerous. That's a whole different category for me. There's (laughs) things that you shouldn't eat unless you cook like mushrooms. Um, most meat, you know, I'm going to cook it before I eat it. Um, but yeah, there's other things that I've heard. I guess
1: like greens, maybe some people say that greens are hard to digest for some people.
0: Yeah, I've heard people kind of debate about this and say like, well, the raw food diet isn't great because there's certain foods that are actually harder on your body to digest. But I've never tried a raw food diet, so I didn't really tune into what those foods were.
1: Oh, maybe corn. Like you can eat raw corn, but it's not really good for your stomach because it'll use up the um, like the enzymes that you have. Mm-hmm. I had a problem with that.
0: And one final thing I'll throw out there, and we might do a video on this as well, is uh, it's fun to make your own like cookware. So if you can find a big piece of bark that, like, is big enough to... I've seen Tom L. Pell in one of his Art of Nothing videos take a, a big piece of bark. It looked like a trough, like a horse would drink out of. <laughs> oh and God. he took all of his wild edible plants. He had uh, managed to kill a, I think it was a porcupine, but uh, he cut that into little pieces and made a stir fry, and he heated up rocks in the fire really hot. And then he put them in the plants and then put a little bit of water on there and just do move the rocks it. around, move the rocks around, That's put true. more water, move the rocks around. And he made a stir fry like that. So thinking about your cookware, you know, like um, coal burning is something that I've I've done quite a bit with. And you can just take half a log and start taking coals out of your fire. Um, not flame, coal, the red hot coal. And make little chopsticks, make a little scoop or something so you can get in there. Put it right on top of the wood, hold it there with a the stick, and blow on it. If it bursts into flame, try to put it out. Although I've heard this debatable. I know other people who use the flame, but I was taught with just to use the coal. <clears throat> keep it burning, keep it burning. You'll see it burn in the wood. And then every now and then when the coal goes out, give it back to the fire, scrape out what's burnt, put more coals in. And this works for a spoon. I've taught kids how to do this with a spoon. Of course, it goes a lot quicker because you're making a much smaller bowl you know the spoon shape and then do your whittling after you've gotten done with the coal burning because the whittling to shape it you know if you want to make a spoon like a handle and everything is much easier to control than the coal burning so do your coal burning first with your little uh what we call a blank you know just the half of the branch or whatever that is roughly the size of your bowl or spoon Coal burn, scrape it out, scrape it out until you've got what you want. You can tell if you're heating it too quick, things will start to crack. But it's not the end of the world. Sometimes the crack doesn't go all the way through. And if it's a spoon, it doesn't really matter if there's a crack as long as it's holding together for the most part. Um, Whittle it. And then if you can find an antler or a smooth rock, you can polish it. You can rub that all over the, the wood and make it really shiny. And then if you come across like a rough rock after that, well, actually, I guess you'd want to use the rough rock first, but kind of sand it you know, sandpaper, or if you have sandpaper, and then the polishing afterwards, the the antler. And if you can render fat, or if you're home and you have vegetable oil, rub that on every couple of days, especially in the beginning. Um, and you'll have a really nice looking piece of wood, a beautiful spoon or bowl. Um, and it just, just feels so good to eat out of something you've made. I made mm-hmm. a, uh, a primitive pottery um, cup one time, and oh my God, it was this rough looking thing. But I loved, even even water just felt so sacred and special coming out of this earthen cup that I made. Yeah. So definitely, like, think about making your own cookware, even if it's just rustic and simple. Like, I love Tom L. Pell's philosophy of, uh, you know, instead of making something all fancy that you want to keep and, you know, preserve, just Use something and then give it right back to the earth.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, either way, has some merit, some beauty in it. I feel like it gets you closer to something sacred. Anything you want to uh, finish us up with, Teresa? I think
1: that's it. You covered it all.
0: All right. So if you have any questions or comments, um, you can find us at escapingsociety.weebly, B as in BAM, dot com. <laughs> and... Uh, We also have a Facebook page where you can find us at Escaping Society. Um, And let's see. I had something I wanted to say in that vein before I forgot.
1: YouTube channel, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of the stuff we talked about on YouTube channel and hope to make more and add more soon. Um, Oh, Yeah. I know a lot of people like cook outdoors. Like, man, if you're not cooking outdoors yet, what a great way to like get out and enjoy the spring weather, this this beauty that is just rising up from the earth now and slowly reaching up into the treetops. Mm-hmm. Like, get out there and cook something, even if you're just heating up your coffee. Man, it, it just it it puts you in a whole different frame of mind. And with all the things happening in the world right now, it is so easy to forget that there is still beauty out there. The world is not dead. I know so many people, including myself, that get like caught up in this crisis, you know, and it needs to be addressed. It needs to be thought about. But man, not at the expense of the beauty. There is still a beautiful green world out there. Get out in it. Walk, uh, sit, cook, be out there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's already dead for you. It doesn't matter what happens next because it's already dead for you. Um And, yeah, please send us any recipes, any tricks and tips you've learned. Um, For our listener Write in, um, we have Brian from Portland, Oregon.
2: Woo!
0: And Brian writes, Dear Gumby and Teresa, I really enjoy your podcast and have been promoting it in various places. I hope you see an uptick in your listeners. I've had a number of comments, but can't think of them right now. Though on one podcast you discussed deodorant options, and wanted to make and my and one and I wanted to make my recommendation. Um, this episode he's talking about is Clean Green, seldom seen hygiene, season one. No stains and a two inch ball of salt lasts three and a half years, so I imagine what ends up in the water would be minute. The salts create an environment where stinky bacteria can't grow. I have been using this product for over 25 years now, and I find it works great. They cost under $10, and I used the last one for three and a half years. They come minimally packaged. This is just a step away from expensive, overly packaged deodorants. Till next time. Well, I have no experience with this, so I'll let you uh, talk about this, Teresa, because it sounds like you know a little bit more about this than I do. Well, sure.
1: Brian, thank you for writing in, and thanks for sharing our podcast, by the way. Um, And I love Portland, Oregon. Um, especially in August. So I have used a Thai crystal deodorant and I don't think I'm using it right. Or maybe I'm just, uh, I'm just used to the flowery smelling deodorant. So I know it doesn't have a scent to it. I get that. Um, I put a little bit of water onto the salt crystal and like rub it on my armpits. But to me, it feels like it's just like a piece of plastic or something that isn't Rubbing off onto my skin, but I can see where, like, if you use it consistently and you're using it the way that you're supposed to, it makes sense that you're changing that, like, the environment for the bacteria to grow. So maybe I'll give it another chance. I'm running out of deodorant that's like what we found in the dumpster, so
0: maybe. And I've just been not using deodorant. So in the summer, that worked fine because I would get immersed in rivers frequently. And I find that if I take a handful of sand or gravel from the creek bottom bed, uh, the creek bottom, and just like kind of scour my armpits with it, um, I just didn't really have much of an odor either way. In the winter, I've definitely had more of an odor because... I don't know. I'm taking showers with even with soap in these uh the gym shower.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It doesn't seem to like really address it much and when I'm by a river, it's so cold that I'm just kind of doing like a more superficial um rub. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm definitely uh got more BO going in the winter. So
1: Which is surprising. We thought it would be the opposite.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is surprising. So, that's my experience on it. But yeah, thank Maybe you for sharing. Time. Thank you. And anything else, Teresa?
1: That does it for me.
0: All right. Get your ass outside. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye. So, thank Thank you for listening to our song. It's not not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it because we'll be gone. Over that next horizon.
2: We ain't
1: got no address. (laughs)